and you would rank the competitor against each attribute. So ultimately, you're going to wind up with a very, very busy graph of each competitor and each attribute. And what you're looking for are those attributes that are not well represented by any competitor. Those are the opportunity areas for you to move in and differentiate and be unique. Welcome to CEO Brain Food. Every episode, entrepreneur, CEO, founder, and host Michael Langhout will bring you key insights, fresh perspectives, and proven tools you can apply to your business. Thought leaders and CEOs will be interviewed as we explore winning strategies for scaling a company, generating profits, and building lasting enterprise value. Here's Michael. Welcome back to CEO Brain Food. I'm here with my producer, Harry Duran, as always. Hello, Harry. How's it going today, Michael? Really great. Thank you, Harry. Once again, I was with another client this morning, and we had an excellent session on strategy, and it makes me think about the topic that I'd like to talk about today, which as a CEO and running your company, what do you really want to do in terms of growth and competition? Do you want to compete to be the best at what you're doing, or do you want to compete to be unique? So the question really gets at, you know, are you trying to be the best company that you possibly can be in your vertical market sector, whatever sector you happen to be operating in? You want to be the best software company, the best manufacturer of component parts, uh, the best distributor, even professional services. How about the best CPA, the best lawyer, best consulting firm with approximately 13,000 new companies starting up every week or month? how can you possibly say you're the best and claim that ground? I mean, you'd have to know your competition really well, but even then, how do you know? How do you really know? I think it almost sometimes feels like an arbitrary measurement because when you say best, you automatically assume best in class. And I think you can even see it in New York City, the best pizza (laughs) on every street corner. So it's a type of word that gets unfortunately thrown around too much. And I don't think it carries as much weight as it used to. Yeah, and it's, it's entirely subjective. It's like the best in your own mind. You have an image in your sort of in your collective wisdom around what you think the best is based on your experience in your particular sector, your industry, the history that you've had in your career. You know what's good, what's not good. And maybe you're, you're out there just trying to optimize what you know. And it's very difficult to to really say that you're the best? And and can you charge a premium in your pricing structure for being the best? It might be more table stakes. It it might be an entry-level ante to compete in the market that you're in. But are you able to generate more profits as a result of it? And so I'm suggesting that we think more about, rather than thinking of our product or service as the best, uh, consider how it is uncommonly different or uniquely different from your competitors. Because when you think about strategy and really marketing, the marketing decision in a mid-market company is really strategy. Strategy is marketing, marketing is strategy. It's, it's how, do you, how do you allocate the scarce resource that you have? And if you're going to be uniquely different from your competitors, you could be a disruptor or you could be filling in a space, a gap, whatever in the market that's not being currently met. But when you think about the objectives of any business, which essentially boil down to profitability and building enterprise value, generating cash and building enterprise value, 
cash comes from profits. So how do you generate more cash and how do you build long-term enterprise value and get a good solid uh, fortress balance sheet as Jamie Dimon talks about at JP Morgan Chase? And that is how can you be, how do you differentiate? How can you be unique from your competitors? So strategy is all about being different. And I love to cite different examples. So for instance, coming out of Michael Porter's work, at Harvard, Dr. Porter has been a luminary and a thought leader in strategy in this function of business for many decades, writing many books and articles. But one of his classics is the competitive advantage. And he defines strategy as the creation of a unique and valuable position involving a different set of activities from your competitors. So you have a different set of activities that you're doing to satisfy the client or the customer's need, it's different than the competitor, and it's unique and it's valuable. And what's inherent in that statement, Michael, is actually doing the research to know what your competitor is doing. I imagine they're trying to do the same thing as well, trying to be best in class. And so if you want to be better than your competitor, you're going to have to be pretty well versed as to what their strengths are as well. It's really interesting to me, Harry, and I'm keying on that comment, how many of my clients really, truly don't know their competitors very well. And while I don't make a practice of encouraging companies to spend a lot of time understanding their competitors, I do think market intelligence, which includes competitive intelligence, is very critical to establishing a solid strategic vision and a plan to get there. You do need to know who you're competing against. That's very important. Actually, more importantly is to understand your own core competencies. And there are a lot of different ways to do that. There are exercises, which I'm happy to get into at, at some other time, to understand your core competencies and to develop competencies that your competition is going to be very, very hard-pressed to duplicate. Once we understand our core competencies and have them really dialed in, and these are competencies that, that again, the, the competition is going to be really pressed to match or duplicate then you need to define who your core customer is, your ideal who, your client that you would really, really love to have. Now, notice in your own database, you already have them. They're there. They love working with you. Feelings mutual. You love working with them. They're paying you at your preferred uh, pricing, which is profitable, a good margin there. But go beyond the industry segment or even the company that you're thinking about and take it down to the individual level, the real person the Harry, the Mike, the, the Susie, the Jim. Think of them as a real person who is currently exists and that you're probably already working with. Even get it to the point where you have a picture of them. Jeff Bezos, for instance, has at his table, at his conference table, when they have meetings at Amazon, there's an empty seat with a sign on it that says customer. And they want to make decisions and set strategies in place at Amazon that would always be reflective of satisfying that person. They want that person to be top of mind in every decision they're making. Once you do that, and again, there's an exercise to do that, you need to work through and find out what is it that is making unique? What is it that you're giving that core customer? It would be, as Bob Bloom says in his book, Inside Advantage, it would be uh, your uncommon offering. It's what you are providing to your who. Keep in mind, this is satisfying both the transactional needs and emotional needs. And just kind of continuing on with Bloom's example, 
you would then define your imaginative acts. These are your strategic differentiators, the little things that you do, not the one big thing, but the lots of little things that you do to satisfy that. And by the way, all those little things can be mapped back to people, departments, functions, et cetera, in your company. So that really everything you're doing in the company is designed to hit that core customer with that uncommon offering. Understanding your core competencies and, and understanding who it is that you're really wanting to do business with and what it is that you're delivering to them, your uncommon offering, allows you to invest in those strengths and leverage them, which are differentiators. You're then setting strategies that unify and align your entire organization so everybody can get behind and is very, very clear around that strategy that you have articulated. It's very important to have everybody, it's like the geese flying south for the winter in that formation. You want your company to be in formation, focusing on delivering that strategy. So I'll give an example, one that's used a lot in the consulting business, and this comes out of, again, Bob Bloom's work at Inside Advantage, the Southwest Airlines example. Now, you don't necessarily have to be a fan of Southwest Airlines. It really doesn't matter. They have millions of customers that they delight every day, and they have a brand promise of low fares, lots of flights, and lots of fun. By the way, your brand promise should be a lead promise with two following supporting promises. So be focused on that as you're developing that exercise, going through what you're promising, and then come up with a guarantee. What is it that happens if you don't deliver on that promise? It really makes you think about what you're offering to your customer. Southwest has the low fares. And if you have low fares, you better have lots of flights, which they do, and then they're offering lots of fun. So as Herb Kelleher famously said to a former customer who wrote him an angry letter, this woman had written and she was upset because she got on a flight and it seemed to her that the flight attendants and the pilots and the navigators and everybody were having entirely too much fun. And so she wrote him a letter and she was upset and she said, you know, this is flying is a very serious business. It's all about safety and getting us safely from point A to point B. And it seems to me that you're having too much fun and you're not paying too much attention to safety. And Herb Kelleher famously responded to her, ma'am, you'll be missed. And the point being that it was kind of a flippant remark, but the point being that she was not a core customer and they're very focused on having fun in their company. That's part of their brand. And if you fly in Southwest, you'll, you'll see that. They still today, even after Herb has passed away here the last couple of years, they still are carrying that on. But how they're different, they, you think about Southwest, what do they do differently? Well, they have you know point to point, they don't have a hub and spoke. They have the same type of equipment that they fly with everywhere, the 737. They have two different versions of that. That of course helps them with maintenance and parts stores, keeping their costs low. We've got very low ticket prices, very, very high utilization of aircraft. It's a commodity airline. They just are all about low price and moving people around the country. They've got lean and productive ground crews, frequent departures, very limited services. You know, it's not like going to the Ritz-Carlton or something or flying on Singapore Airlines. They're very limited, and they would give you some peanuts maybe. How can companies who are struggling to define their core competencies or what they want to be known for use that as an example? Is there a story of a company you've worked with who was struggling with this before they started working with you? Maybe you can talk a little bit about how you were able to get them a bit more refined the example that I'm using is, a, is an activity fit map, and it's defining the, the Southwest Airlines example, uh, and Michael Porter was the author of it. The real secret there in getting to that is 
what we call an attribution framework. It's a fairly complicated tool that we as coaches use with our clients. And the first thing, just to walk through it very simply and high level, you would first identify all the characteristics of the marketplace that you that your market is asking of you. What are the attributes? What are the things that the market is asking for from your particular vertical or product or service? These could be things that you're currently doing either very well or perhaps not so well. They also could be things that you're not doing at all that maybe your competition is doing or maybe no competitor is doing. So you would list them out and then rank them, come up with a list of six to eight attributes. And by the way, if you do this correctly, you'll have, you know, probably 20 or 30 attributes on the, on the board. And so I would just go through a voting process as a coach with my client and we'd vote on the top ones, six or eight of them, and then we would rank them. And then on the next page, I would list them out across the bottom of the page just turn them sideways so that you can see them across the bottom of the page. And those would be the attributes. And then up on the left-hand vertical, you would have a score of zero to five. And then you would put competitors in there with different colors. So you can differentiate and see who's the competitor and you would rank the competitor against each attribute. So ultimately you're going to wind up with a very, very busy graph of each competitor and each attribute. And what you're looking for are those attributes that are not well represented by any competitor. Those are the opportunity areas for you to move in and differentiate and be unique. How much time can a company expect to spend on an exercise like that? I would take a client through an attribution framework analysis and building out the activity fit map in probably the better part of a morning. We'd probably spend an hour and a half or so on both exercises and we could knock it out. And we do that. This is exactly what I do with my clients. In fact, I did one of these this morning. We spent a half a morning building out a, uh, an attribution framework. And it was extremely helpful to the client to see where they were relative to their competitors across a variety of different attributes. And then we're going into another session soon to plan out how are we going to start to fill in those gaps and really be unique. It really is amazing because once you do that, you're in a position of open field running. Nobody else is doing it. And so you have the opportunity to start charging a higher price. And, and I'm not talking about extorting the marketplace. I am talking about increasing your gross margins and hence your profitability by a good solid factor of five or 10 basis points. I mean, why can't we get our gross margins from 35 or 40% up to north of 50, 55%. You can do that. Many clients out there that I've got are operating in that low range of 25 to 30% gross margin. I want to see them up above 50%. I want to see them up in the software margin levels. And there's no reason why they can't do that. And they can do it not by trying to be the best, but by being unique. Where are the places where companies stumble? So if they do the fit map exercise, then the next logical step would be to actually make a plan for the implementation. So is that sometimes where companies fall off? They've clearly identified what their fit map looks like, but they don't execute it properly. Harry, that's exactly what does happen. And of course, when we're done with these meetings where we're working on the business, we've got to go back and work in the business. And we're facing our backlogs and trying to make payroll and meet orders and and you know, produce the products or, or 
deliver the services that we're promising our customers. This is like turning a ship, a big ocean liner out in the ocean. It, you can't turn it on a dime, right? You, it, takes, it takes a couple of miles to really change course. And it takes a lot of effort. It takes engine power. It takes energy. It takes fuel. Same thing in a company. You're going to have to come back and look at this fit map, see what your differentiators are. Oftentimes, we come back a week later and we'll take a look at the differentiators just to refresh. And we wind up refining and clarifying and going deeper. Ultimately, it's the team. It's the, it's the whole leadership team that needs to completely buy into the changes. But once you do that, then it's just a matter of mapping them out. And we have a whole process called swim lanes that helps us to do that. It's an engineering concept taken out of Agile and Scrum. But basically, it's, an, it's a project management concept of swim lanes where you're basically taking the, the differentiator on a vertical column. So you'd list the differentiator, one, two, three, four, five, whatever they are down a vertical column. And then to the right, you would want to go Q1 all the way out to Q12. So 36 months, three years, and 12 quarters. And just go through an exercise of how do we achieve this differentiated position? What do we need to put into place to make that happen? And you actually plan it out and map it out. Shannon Susco does a great job of this in her book, Three Hag Way. And it's a wonderful way of running a business where you can drive to predictable profits. She's done it three times with three different companies. She's a colleague of mine and a fellow coach, teacher, author, speaker, and she's really done a great job of explaining this in her in her book, The Three Hag Way. But that's what we would do. And then from there, of course, you have to price it out and see, well, what are the, th what are the things that we need to do? What are, what's it going to cost us? Because there will probably be a level of investment to prove your differentiation, the actual uncommon offering. And there's one point that many companies don't get, at least in the mid-market that I'm working with. They're typically very transactional. And what I mean by that is that there's a, a client, the client has a need, they might prepare a bill of materials or a spec list of some type, and you know, then you've got to come back as a supplier and give them a pricing on it, some kind of a cost estimate or a price quote or a bid. Very, very transactional. What I would encourage you to do and think about is that thinking of your business merely as a commercial transaction is very, very narrow thinking. It's limiting and frankly, pretty self-defeating because you've got price and that's about it. Start thinking about your transactions as satisfying an emotional experience. And I'll give you some examples. So once again, out of Bob Bloom's book, The Insight Advantage, great book, by the way. L'Oreal was one of his clients, the beauty products supplier out of France. If you looked at it strictly as a commercial transaction, you would say L'Oreal sells beauty products. But the emotional experience that they're providing to their customer, and by the way, they know exactly who their core customer is, the emotional experience is helping women look and feel beautiful. That's their objective. When you think about the emotional experience of helping women look and feel beautiful, it's going to back up all the way to what does the product feel like? What is its, what's the scent? How is it packaged? What is the label on it? Is it engraved in the glass or is it a foil label that's pasted on? How, how does it all look? And what is the messaging, the marketing message that's being sent? Nike would be another example. They sell athletic products and apparel, right? That's the transactional nature of what they do. But the emotional experience, they're allowing their 
core customers to achieve physical improvement and winning. So you remember their ad campaign from years ago, Just Do It. Nike's ad campaign was great. It was a terrific ad campaign. I think they still run it. Just Do It. It's how do you get started on a winning program? How do you achieve physical improvement and win? So there's there's lots of other examples. We won't go into them all now, but, but I just want to try to provide the understanding of the difference between a commercial transaction and the emotional experience that that transaction is bringing to the core customer with the uncommon offering. Again, these are exercises that we do with our clients. And I, I will say, in many testimonials, many clients go through this process and within months, they've got more cash in their account, better gross margins, and happier employees and really satisfied customers. And these are things that companies should be striving for on a daily basis. Yes, and if they're doing it right, it's not a it's not a, a struggle or anything at all. It's it's just the natural way of doing business. When you when you have something that's uncommon and unique in the marketplace, you're you're really the king of the mountain. I mean, you can you can control your destiny a lot better. As I say, coming from Shannon's book, Three Hagway, it, it's a predictable way of doing business. It's predictable profits. So, Michael, as we close out this topic. Are there questions that companies can consider as they start this process of defining a core competency? Harry, thanks for that question. And yes, I would list out a few thoughts there. Um, The first would be, do you know how your product or service is differentiated in your market space? So are you crystal clear and everybody on your team crystal clear about how your product or service is differentiated or is it? The second question that I would ask is, do you know your ideal who, your core customer? And do you have that understood down to the individual who's buying at a profit? Again, think in terms of your own database. You've got them in there. Just a matter of asking your people, your customer service people, your salespeople, they'll all have opinions. Even your operating people will have opinions. And the third question is, what uncommon or imaginative acts, these strategic differentiators, what are they and how are you offering them to your core customer? This is the selling the what to the who and how is that different from your competition? Again, thinking strategy is all about differentiation. So I think what you covered here as far as the importance of defining your core competency is going to be enough for folks to work through. And I think looking through things like the fit map and understanding where they are in the process is going to be helpful for them to really differentiate themselves in the way that a company like Southwest did. So do you want to give folks a sneak peek of what we have planned for next episode? Great. And yes, uh, next time we're meeting, we're going to be talking about uh, authentic leadership. Leadership is a topic that's very close to, to my heart. It's something that I believe we're lacking in our, in our businesses, in our country, and, and all around, really all around the world. And so the concept of authentic leadership, I think, might provide some clarity and some direction in terms of how to make an improvement in this uh, leadership gap. So I'm excited to talk about authentic leadership next time. I'm looking forward to that conversation. So thanks for taking the time to listen today on the subject of differentiation and competing to be the best or competing to be unique. I hope it was helpful. Looking forward to regrouping uh, in the next episode of CEO Brain Food, where we'll be talking about authentic leadership. Thanks for listening to another episode of CEO Brain Food. To listen to all past episodes, as well as view the show notes that we create for each episode, 
head on over to ceobrainfood.com. 